Welcome to the Pencils and Lipstick Podcast, a weekly podcast for writers. Grab a cup of coffee, perhaps some paper and pen, and enjoy an interview with an author, a chat with a writing tool creator, perhaps a conversation with an editor or other publishing expert, as well as Kat's thoughts on writing and her own creative journey. You'll laugh, you'll cry, well, hopefully not actually cry, but you will probably learn something. And I hope you'll be inspired to write. Because as I always say, you have a story, you should write it down. This is Pencils and Lipstick. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Pencils and Lipstick, episode 156. I'm Kat Caldwell. And today we have an author interview for you guys. I have Sarah Elizabeth Sawyer with me in the second part of the show. Um, And we are going to talk about how to write about Native American, American Indians in fiction. And she is from the Choctaw Nation, and she has a whole course all about that. And we talk pretty openly about the challenges um, and the stereotypes and all the things that fiction writers run into when they want to include people of another ethnic group. I mean, this this happens whatever ethnic group you're from, if your characters are from another group, you're going to come up against challenges, right? But I love how Sarah tells us and reminds us that our history, and she's a historical fiction writer, is really a collective history. And while it's a shame that we don't have time in school or whatever the cause for it to learn every single different person's history, we do have the opportunity these days with the internet to learn more from people um, of different ethnic groups or different cultures in order to represent them well in our fiction. So we talk a lot about her course, um, about her books. I think you're really going to enjoy the interview. Before we get into the interview, I want to ask you guys how you're doing with your NaNoWriMo. If you are um, participating, it is November 14th um, as this goes out, but today it is November 10th as I record it. So When this goes out, we'll be about halfway through NaNoWriMo, and today we're just, you know, about a third of the way through. So how is it going? Are you making um, the strides you wanted to make? Um, Are you doing as well as you wanted? Have you hit a wall? (laughs) What has gone on? You guys can tweet me at PencilsLipstick on Twitter. Um, You can also find me on Instagram, catcaldwell.author or pencilsandlipstick.com. All, the, all written out on Instagram. And just let me know how you're doing. If you need some encouragement, I'd be happy to encourage you. Um, and the, the truth is that it is completely normal to hit a bit of a wall. Um, and the interesting thing about, um, about measuring our success of this process in words written is you might have come across this difficulty in which you write a scene And the next day you realize that you don't need the scene or that scene isn't any good or it needs to be changed. And then you start wondering if you should 
like go back and delete the words, <laughs> but you actually wrote the words, even though you might not be using those words, right? Has anyone come up with this dilemma? Um, this happens to me all the time. I love measuring my progress in word count. On the other hand, yeah, I come up against this problem. And maybe plotters who plot significantly don't come up against this, but I have to imagine even they have moments in which they write a scene and they go, yeah, that's not it. Um, that's just not going to cut it. So this happened to me the other day and I thought, well, I have to go back and kind of chop this scene up. And as happens with me, <laughs> The reason was I needed my character, Philip, to get to the certain part. And what I ended up doing was sort of writing out him getting there <laughs> instead of figuring out how to open the scene with him practically there. And this happens to me, especially in the beginning of the book, because I'm still working out how much background to give the character. So I think I'm about on the eighth chapter. And, you know, he, you, the reader needs a little bit more of him, but I, I still have to figure out how to get it in there, you know? So anyway, I, I wrote all this scene and I was in the airport doing it. I was really determined that I was going to get my, get some words in every single day. I haven't put a like limit or a goal each day, because I knew that I was going to travel and, you know, there, there would be days where 500 words is about all I could do. I think, I think I got like 641 night. <laughs> I was like, that's all I could do um, before midnight. But I was in the airport and slightly distracted and slightly uncomfortable and trying to write this thing out, you know, and, and it was okay. It wasn't a terrible scene, but it just wasn't, it wasn't a good scene. You know, what was actually good was the part at the very end. <laughs> and so I took that and put it at the top and then I deleted the rest of it and sort of, you know, took whatever background that was in that beginning part and sprinkled it throughout as I got him to the crisis moment, right? So what do you count? Do you count those words that you wrote the day before, even though you ended up deleting them the next day? <laughs> so I actually didn't didn't end up counting the words of the scene that I wrote. Not that there's any hard and fast rule about this, um, but I just want to sort of talk about how these things happen and how um, how we can get caught up in thinking about what is fair, what I should count. And then you get to basically the realization that it just doesn't matter. <laughs> it just, it really doesn't matter. If you delete the scene the next day and you rewrite it, you know, those are new words that you're writing. You can count them. If you don't want to count them because you feel like you're actually just rewriting that scene, then that's okay too, right? I mean, this NaNoWriMo thing, um, this writing thing in general, we aren't up against anyone except for ourselves. And sometimes we are our worst judges, right? And our worst critics. And we are the ones that will hold ourselves accountable. And we have to allow that, we have to allow ourselves to fight over that sort of 
voice in the back of our heads that say, no, 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 you can't do that. Or that doesn't count. Or what will people think? <laughs> you know, no one's going to think anything. You don't have to say anything to anybody. Um, technically people could cheat on NaNoWriMo. Like who am I to say whether you got to those, that word count goal or not? Really, we're doing this to sort of push ourselves and hold our feet to the fire to see if we can write a little bit every day. So have you been able to write a little bit every day? You know, I was thinking the day that I only got 640 or whatever words, I was thinking, you know what? That's actually okay. It is okay. Of course, I do want to write this story a little bit quicker than it took me to write the first one in the series. Um, because the first one in the series was my first book that I published. And, you know, it took a long time to figure that one out. Yes, I want to go a bit faster. But the truth is, all I could do was that 600 something words. And they weren't bad words. They were fairly good. And I have to remind myself, this is the first draft. And I want to remind you as well, because most likely you're working on a new project because NaNoWriMo is kind of about that new project. You might not know your characters enough yet to really get them correct as you're going through this month. And that's okay. Get to know your characters, have them develop a little bit more stick them in a situation that you know they need to get in and see what happens and see what comes out. Um, But you don't have to go back and change anything yet. Of course, I went back and changed the scene because it was kind of in my mind and I was afraid I was going to forget it. But there is a part in, in my rough draft at the moment that I have changed from that moment on. So um, my girl character, Carmen, is going to go um, to another city. And before, like three chapters before, she had said something different. And so instead of going back three chapters before and changing it, I just made a note and said, well, that has to be changed. And I think I've changed the name of her, like servant, (laughs) her companion is what they called them back then. Um, I think I changed her name and I just made a note. It's like, sometimes it's Rosa and sometimes it's Bernarda. And so, you know, I just made a note to like, make up your mind on on that name. I'm not going to go back and change it right now. She also had a slight personality change. I made her a bit um, of the, the kind of character that hides her feelings through, you know, worrying about others or doing things for others, you know, and being quite lively and and wanting to laugh. She doesn't want to focus on sort of this, this bad um, stigma in her life that she's kind of coming up to the age where she either gets married or becomes the old maid, you know, unfortunately, back then, that was a thing. And at very young age is what we would consider them young these days. So instead of focusing on it, instead of voicing her concerns, she sort of covers that you know, don't worry about me. Let's worry about you. Um, and she'll brush things off with a laugh or with a tease or something. She doesn't want to get very serious. She's an avoider, right? She doesn't want to deal with this position that she's in. And that's a bit of a change from the beginning. And so again, I have to make a note and say, you know, that's going to have to change at the beginning and that's okay. Right. In fact, 
it might be healthier for us to continue going through the draft, just making notes, than to constantly going back to the beginning and never really getting done with the book, right? That is something that we have to be careful about that um, it, it, a lot of times it takes writers so long to get to the end of the book because they keep looping back. I always think of like, the crochet needle, you know, they keep looping backwards and backwards and they never, they're like, they're getting there a little bit further every single day, but they're never quite getting to the end. Um, and so I think what's nice about NaNoWriMo is you are challenged to sit down every single day to write something, you know, write a couple sentences. It's okay. I tell you, I will give you permission now. (laughs) It is okay. And it's okay if you don't make it to the 50,000. In fact, if you need to think today about what needs to happen next and take that time to think, I would say it counts even if you just take the paper and you scroll out. How are they going to get there? What are they going to do when they get there? How are they going to react? Why are they going to react that way? And sort of questioning your character, putting your character in a completely different situation to pull out their personality more, all of that counts towards words of your book. They might not end up in your book, but they are the the words that are helping you as a writer create that book and create that story. Because in the end, a book is a physical thing, right? But and it has a number of words in it and characters and pages. And you can have all this data on what the the book is, but what it is is a story. And whatever gets you to that story counts towards the project. So even if it's a skeletal outline, a question and answer and question and answer and trying to brainstorm this I would even give you permission to add that to your words because you're working on the story. If you need to think and then maybe only write a paragraph, 500 words, okay, how are they going to react? Do that. One of the the slight issues with NaNoWriMo is that there isn't a whole lot of time to think because writing 1,600 words on average a day takes some time. So if you haven't been thinking about it, they can take even more time than what you might hope for, right? (laughs) So anyway, I want you guys to be encouraged in your writing. I hope that you are doing well. I hope that you can take a little bit of a break. Remember to stretch. Remember to drink water. Remember to take a walk. Remember to talk out what your character and your storyline is. And tweet me at Pencil Lipstick if you just are like having the greatest day ever or having the worst day ever. I will. I would love to even brainstorm with you. Tweet me a question. What should my character do now? I don't even know. My brain is dead. I'll come up with something. Um, maybe it will be silly, but maybe the silly recommendation will get you thinking. <laughs> so I don't know. We'll see where I keep going with this. I do realize I have skipped a little bit and I realize I had to go back and write another chapter. Um, So I'm not writing in a linear direction at this moment, just because um, I had to go back and add a perspective, a 
perspective from Carmen. Um, And so I wrote a whole new chapter that I hadn't planned on, but that's okay. It is completely okay. You know what? They are words contributing to this story that I have a goal in finishing. (laughs) Is that big enough for (laughs) y'all? Yes, I would love to be done with this book, um, at least the first draft, and with um, Outside the Ring, and by the end of the year and just take a little break over Christmas. That is the goal. We'll see if it happens. I cannot believe we are coming up on Christmas again. It's ridiculous. Uh, the time has gone by so fast. But that is just my little chat with you all. We do have a semi-long um, conversation with Sarah coming up. But before we get into the interview with Sarah Elizabeth Sawyer, I want to remind you all that if you like to you know, read the transcripts, you can go to pencilsandlipstick.com, all spelled out. If you like to see the videos, I usually tweet those out. Um, and they are usually free for about a week. And then they go into just the subscriber slot on buymeacoffee.com. And buymeacoffee.com is a lot like Patreon. It is just an area and that is set up with the videos and with some extra goodies for anybody who would like to contribute to the show. All of these affiliate um, mini commercials that I put sort of between this part and the interview go to um, help support the show, help me pay my editor, help me pay the young man helping me get the website up and the blog already done and the transcripts every week um, and the hosting for the podcast. All of that requires money because that's, I guess, how the world goes around, right? And if you want to contribute to the show and make sure it keeps going and just let me know how much you like it, um, you can contribute whether it's a dollar or $20 to buymeacoffee.com forward slash pencils lipstick. You get access to a lot of different things. If you become a a monthly subscriber, you get free access to lots of different PDFs on writing. And I am going to put in there, if you become a monthly subscriber at $25 a month, you will get immediate access to the writing sprint group, which is $25 anyway. We've spent 20 hours a week. All of those you have access to, you can come and go as you please. And I just thought, well, you know, if somebody wants to help support the show and wants to be a writer, why shouldn't they have access to the writing sprints as well? So if you become a monthly subscriber there, you can have access to the sprints and we'd love to see you. All of the sprints are done on Zoom. I know we're all a little tired of Zoom. I hope that you can find a physical writing group wherever you live, but you know, we're going into flu season and dark winter season. So if you don't want to write alone, if you want to sort of be encouraged to keep writing and meet some cool writers, we say hi for about five minutes before we sprint, then come join us. Other than that, you can find me, of course, on Facebook, Cat Caldwell Pencils and Lipstick, on Instagram, Pencils and Lipstick, all spelled out, on Twitter, Pencils Lipstick. You can find me at catcaldwell.com if you want to join my newsletter, whether it's the reader's newsletter or the writer's newsletter, and all of my books and coaching is on the catcaldwell.com website. (laughs) 
I love highlighting the apps and software that I use to make my writing smoother, better, or prepped to go to the editor. And one of those apps is ProWritingAid. ProWritingAid can help you improve your writing quickly and efficiently with thousands of grammar, spelling, and readability improvements delivered in real time as you write. I just connect it with my word processor or even with Scrivener, and I can get real-time data from them. ProWritingAid has more writing reports than any other editing software. The editing tool highlights elements like repetitiveness, vague wording, sentence length variation, over-dependence on adverbs, passive voice, and over-complicated sentence constructions, and so much more. Now, you can't rely solely on ProWritingAid, but it is a great way to see how your writing is improving, where you need to maybe develop it a little bit more, and it gets rid of all those pesky little things before you send it to your actual editor, which helps them save time. And you know if it helps them save time, it helps you save money. I always run my blog posts, my newsletter, my books, everything through ProWritingAid because by the end of the day, my eyes are too tired to see those pesky little problems, whether it's a comma, whether it's a word that changed because I missed the spelling. Whatever it is, ProWritingAid is there for me. If you want to check out this awesome software, just click the links below. There's a link for free resources and there's a link for a discount just for you. Sarah Elizabeth Sawyer is a story archaeologist. She digs up shards of past lives, hopes, and truths, and pieces them together for readers today. The Smithsonian's National Museum of the American Indian honored her as a literary artist through her Artist Leadership Program for her work in preserving Choctaw Trail of Tears stories. A tribal member of the Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma, she writes historical fiction from her hometown in Texas partnering with her mother, Linda K. Sawyer, in continued research for future works. You can learn more about Sarah at sarahelizabethwrites.com. Hello, Sarah. How are you doing today? I am doing really well, Kat. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Oh, thank you. I'm excited to talk to you, and I'm excited about this next part. Will you introduce yourself um, first in Choctaw, because that's so cool. <laughs> and then you'll have to translate for the rest of us. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Alito, Sarah Elizabeth Sawyer, Choctaw Sia. Okay. Hi, my name is Sarah Elizabeth Sawyer, and I am Choctaw. And for all your listeners out there, including you, Kat, if you've ever said the word Oklahoma, you have actually spoken Choctaw. Oh, that's really cool. Those, that's a combination of two Choctaw words, meaning Okla, meaning people or tribe, and Homa, meaning red. So land of the red people is how some people interpret it as. Oh, nice. That is amazing. I love America. I love that part of America where you can go and you can be speaking several different languages and not even know it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So it's land, wonderful land we live in. Oh, that's wonderful. So you're, you're a writer. Um, out in Texas. Will you tell us a little bit about um, where you're from and we'll get into 
how you started being a writer. Sure thing. I was born and raised in Texas. Uh, my mom's family was mostly from Oklahoma. Her grand, uh, her dad moved down. My papa moved down to Fort Worth, Texas, whenever he was a boy, his mother moved down there and he moved down there to be with her. But he was born in Oklahoma around Mead, Oklahoma, which is where mm -hmm. our, our family's original land allotments were during the Dawes Commission around 1900 when the tribal lands were being divided up. And so mm. his land allotment was around there. And uh, that's where he grew up for most of his life. And then my mother was born in Fort Worth. So we make a lot of trips to Oklahoma. Like I said, I live in Texas, but we go to Oklahoma quite quite a bit for tribal events. We have our big okay. annual Choctaw Labor Day powwow and uh, festival that we go to in September each year. We have our annual Choctaw Trail of Tears commemorative walk, which is always a significant time for us in right. the spring. Oh, that's so you grew up doing that always going up to for these different celebrations. Yeah, I did. Okay. I've always known I was Choctaw, and my mom grew up in a time when. You know, she was shown prejudice, uh, even though mm -hmm. she didn't necessarily grow up in in the culture specifically with being in Texas and being a bit disconnected there. But she was darker skinned. And so the kids at school thought she was Hispanic. The white kids really didn't want anything to do with her. The Hispanic kids, when they found out she couldn't speak a lick of Spanish, <laughs> they, uh, they didn't really have anything to do with her. And so she would tell her dad and he would tell her to be proud, be proud you're Indian. Right. And so he passed that on to her and she passed it on to all of her children. That's wonderful. I like that. They get, everyone has a different experience. So, you know, whether some some were told to hide things, some were told. Mm -hmm. My stepmom is Mexican and she was never taught Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> she was never. <laughs> right. Her mom was like, no, you will learn English. So, you know. Yeah. Knowing your heritage, I think, is important. I, I think that's wonderful. I honestly... I'm one of those white Americans that has no idea <laughs> where I'm from or what I, why I, why I'm pretty here. much all we know is what we grew up with watching the old movies and TV shows. And that's just such an yeah. inaccurate portrayal often, not always, but for mm. the, for the most part, that's where our stereotypes are born. And we're just, uh, right. we don't know these things. And that's a lot of feedback I get on my books is people are like, why didn't I learn this in school? Why, yeah. why is this taught? Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> we could go down that trail, couldn't we? <laughs> right. But, I mean, you started writing. You have quite a few books out there, and do all of your books include um, Choctaw people, or is it a, a mixture of different people? Or how how do you write your books? Yeah, that's a great question. It is a, a mixed races. There's all different races in my Choctaw Tribune series. I have a Jewish family, even from Russia, and I have. Oh. Um, you know, just a diverse cast of characters. Um, most of my, I call them my Choctaw heritage books. So those are specifically the main characters mm -hmm. are Choctaw. And then my Doc Beck Western series features Omaha Indian woman doctor who was inspired by oh, the cool. first American Indian woman doctor in the 1890s, Dr. Susan LaFleche Picot. And this book is not in any way to portray her life, but it was really inspiring her story yeah. that that she was an American Indian woman doctor in that time period, to be even be a woman doctor in that time right. period. And then to have grown up on the Omaha Indian reservation in Nebraska um, and they go on to have those experiences. So I'm branching out to some other first American characters like that. Um, but my first books were, were all Choctaw main characters and I'll, I will always continue to write those. Yeah. I think that's, a, that's important to understand things like that. I was just talking to another, um, a Canadian native woman. And she was talking about how when um, the different Europeans came over to do hunting, you know, all that different thing that would happen in Canada, 
they of course don't have lemon trees. And so they once again started getting scurvy and like how her tribe didn't know what they were like, what their problem was. <laughs> you know, like, why are they sick? Cause they eat a ton of blueberries. It is just like, it was ingrained in their culture and how they ate to be a healthy society. And so they, they realized, Oh, well, the blueberries help them, you know, and it's just amazing to realize how intuitive and smart our ancestors were. I think modern day people tend to like chalk up our ancient ancestors is not that smart when you're like, oh, well, they survived a lot of a lot of things. So it doesn't yeah. really surprise me that it would be a native woman that would be a doctor. And yet we don't learn about that stuff. I think that right. that story is really cool. Yeah. And she incorporated her traditional tribal medicines and herbs. And she was all about whole health and, and not just yeah. medicine, you know, modern medicine and her traditional. And she did both. And she was a tremendous healer for her people. Um, but bet. yeah, and, and blueberries we know today are, you know, superfood. And we're like, right. blueberries. And our <laughs> ancestors are like, great, you're figuring it out. <laughs> yes, exactly. And then funny, if like, we, if we could just sort of mesh together the the old knowledge with the new knowledge. And, mm-hmm. and we're all trying to get back into whole health. So. Right, right. Not a <laughs> bad path. That you're bringing her, her story to light. So how, how did you start writing? Like, for a lot of um, people that I know who are Native, storytelling is a big part of their culture. Is that the same in Choctaw? Oh, absolutely. We okay. have we have tons of storytellers. And my papa was a storyteller. He wasn't mm. a professional storyteller or anything like that. But he knew how to tell a story and pass that on to my mom. And so I feel like I'm carrying down that tradition. Yeah. But even going back to the ancestors that I didn't know, um, you know, storytelling and writing, even literature mm. was a big part of Choctaw culture, um, the missionaries, we invited them in in the 1818 is when they started uh, established the first mission school. And our people wanted both. They wanted the the Christian beliefs brought in and they wanted education. And so all of our people, not all of them, but a lot of the children began uh, learning English, learning to read and write English so that within a few decades, there were many fluent English speakers and writers in the Choctaw Nation. And that's a tradition that's carried on. Oh, that's wonderful. So, so storytelling to you comes pretty naturally? Uh, no, no, no. Yes and okay. no. <laughs> I, storytelling does. I started whenever I was five. I wrote my first story uh, because Ooh. I knew I would be too shy to tell it. I had a story on okay. my heart about kindness that I wanted to share. And I was like, I know I would be too shy to do this. So I wrote it on five little sticky notes and my mom oh. saved it. My brother illustrated it. And then she saved kind of that final product that we produced at five and seven. <laughs> Yeah, so I started then and I really got into oral storytelling. And I actually don't do a ton of oral storytelling. I did really, I I thought I would go that direction, but writing is, it's my jam. So I was like, I'm going to stay with with writing. But I went to a conference, a storytelling conference for about five years, a native storytelling conference. And those, they just blew me away with their talent and their ability to hold an audience captive for 20, 30 minutes, an hour telling stories. Um, Because I think we think of telling oral stories as something we do at the library for kids and that kind of thing. But this was for an adult audience and uh, just just really impactful. So so that really got me on the trail um, with, you know, being inspired by the Native storytellers there. Yeah. Yeah. That's a whole different talent right there is oral storytelling. I used to think that if I'm a writer, I should be able to make up stories for my kids at bedtime. (laughs) And I quickly learned 
that my mind didn't work that quickly. Like yeah. to be yeah. able to interact with the audience and mm-hmm. and know kind of like you have to think two sentences ahead than what you're saying and know the intent. Mm-hmm. Man, it's not it's not easy. It is incredible. We, yeah, it is another skill set. <laughs> yes, yes, and we don't do it enough. And um, so you decided to do more writing. When did you start writing? And when did you kind of know? Well, are you a full-time writer or do you do other things as well? Mm-hmm. And sort of how is that journey? Yeah, I, I am a full-time writer now. <laughs> it took a took a little bit to to get there, uh, but I am a full-time writer. Uh, like I said, I started whenever I was five, but I didn't take, and I wrote through my teen years and mm. early 20s, but didn't take really grasp onto it till I was about 23, which is like, okay. some people are like, that's still baby. <laughs> but for me, it was <laughs> like, I- took a long time to figure it out and uh, to figure out this is, this is the gift that God has given me and this is the direction I'm going to go in. So I began um, taking it seriously, taking the craft seriously and really okay. honing my skill as a writer because I quickly learned it's not all about talent. It's, it is really about developing that skill and writing a lot, getting critique, getting feedback. I had some Mm. really wonderful writers that were willing to give me feedback every week on this writing challenge that I was entering. And that began really honing my skills. In 2012, I was accepted into the Smithsonian's National Museum of the American Indian Artists and Leadership Fellowship. So wow. that's what took me to Washington DC. So when you said you were from you're living in yeah. DC now, <laughs> I was like, oh, that was that was my first um first trip out there. And we spent okay. two weeks. Uh, my mom went with me and uh just a tremendous time of doing research. We got to see the original Choctaw treaties. And out of that oh, I brought wow. yeah, it was incredible. I mean, only three people have a key or access to this vault um at the National Archives. And it was it was a tremendous honor to to get to do that. And um, so I brought that back to my community in uh, Durant, Oklahoma, which uh, that's kind of my adopted community. Again, I'm in Texas, but we do a lot of stuff in Oklahoma, especially Durant. So we had a workshop there. And out of that, I had several Choctaw authors submit stories. And that became my first book, Touch My Tears, Tales from the Trail of oh. Tears to Preserve Choctaw Removal Stories. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're moving further and further into the future. And that is... You know, unfortunately, in America, history sort of becomes this thing that happened, and we lose the mm. stories. Yeah, and but, we we need to not lose them, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's our heritage. That's you know, I look at it as my ancestors walked the trail for us, so yeah. we're honoring them with with telling their stories. Yeah, and how can we avoid doing that in the future if we mm. don't really, if it's not close to us? You know, if we don't really see and let it touch us. You know, even if it makes us uncomfortable, which history usually does <laughs> make us uncomfortable. Yeah, but um, it's so important to to remember those stories and tell them. Yeah, yeah. So you you put that together as an kind of an anthology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a okay. short story collection in an anthology, and I indie published that. That was the okay. route that I ended up going. I kind of hoped the NMAI, the National Museum of the American Indian, would be able to publish it through their through their. Uh, house and then I found out they only do nonfiction and we were doing historical uh, fiction short stories. Okay, and they're like, you know, we we trust you, go for it. So we ended up doing that collection ourselves and launched it. And when I say ourselves, me, my mom, you know, yeah. graphic designer, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, we, we got it done. Um, and then I've decided to stay with indie publishing because I just deal with so much 
culturally and spiritually sensitive material. I just want to always have okay. maintain that control over it. Okay. All right. So w- what do you think would not, um, I guess, is that, I mean, oh, let me think of this. So <laughs> because you're using, you're, you're doing things that might, people might have different opinions on, because I've noticed um, that you've used several different words to describe your heritage. So you're American Indian, Native, you know, so we were kind of talking about this beforehand. Do you think that would sort of be tried to bring like the East Coast publishing ideals to it? Are you afraid of that? Or do you just kind of not even want to go there? Have you heard stories that that people are sort of made to change it? Or or is it just more of a, I don't even want to deal? (laughs) It's a little bit of both. Okay. (laughs) Um, When I started out, it wasn't as polarizing as it is now. But there was that sense that it was coming. And now, I mean, I've heard a lot of traditional publishers won't even accept a manuscript that has a native main character if you're not native, if you're not a tribal member of a tribe, and sp- even specifically oh. that tribe. So they're really um, clamping down on a lot of things. There's a lot of words that they don't want you to use, even in a historical sense, like Indian, which is a very controversial word okay. to even speak out loud in, in today's okay. climate. And even whenever I say it as, as a Choctaw tribal member, people just their eyes pop open and they're like, did you actually say Indian? And I've had people, yeah, come back on social media or by email and Mm. be like, oh, please don't use that word. You you can't use that word. It's so derogatory. And it is. uh, And I I go over this in my course quite a bit because it is a, a controversial topic, a controversial word, and you really, it is more of an insider term. You need to know how and, and mm. ways to use it. And okay. um, so in a historical sense, though, you know, they even want to eliminate things like that. That's that's history. And so, yeah, we're just, um, I, I spoke to someone um, from a, I, don't, I guess I won't say the, the state, but <laughs> on the East Coast, and, and I was they were at a museum and I was getting some historical information from them. And I had put in my email that my story takes place in Indian territory. And so whenever I was talking to him on the, on the phone, he said, well, I understand you have a series set in native territory and da, 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 da. And I was like, native territory. Oh, Indian territory. You can say Indian territory. It's okay. That's like legally, that's the, that was the name of it before the state right. of Oklahoma, it was Indian territory. So, so yeah, it's really, really getting that uh, more and more so where okay. we're at now. So wouldn't you feel, though, that that's almost whitewashing history, like that we're not we're not describing people in their their discomfort and they're mm-hmm. they're like making of an other of people. If you give them the proper terms of 2022, doesn't that make them look better than they actually <laughs> were? Well, and you just you lose the context of that time period. It was it was a different time. And, yeah. you know, as a historical fiction author, you know, there's some things that we may, you know, kind of skirt around or I don't want to say soft soap, but we just want to give a, um, I don't even want to say a gentler view, but sometimes we are a wall between our readers mm. and the history. And I did that with, uh, I had a great discussion with a fellow uh, military author. We both did a World War One book. And I was like, you know, what was that experience like, you know, actually feeling like you're on the battlefields and it was just so gruesome and you know, do we put all of that in our books? Do we put Mm. that in there for the readers? And that was really the description she had is we're kind of this barrier 
um, to from the the real history and the reader, they can they can find that real history, but we sure. just put it in a different way that still you know they still get the full experience that you know right. this was a gruesome time in our right. history. Um, so we don't want to whitewash it, like you said, because the war is awful, and we don't want to glorify yeah. it in any way. But at the same time, you know, how harsh are we being for our readers in in that? And I think it's a, a case by case basis in a sense. Sure. But I'm not for um, not for whitewashing and just give the whole context, though. Don't mm. don't get in one ditch or the other of I'm going to show how bad people were in the past or I'm going to show how good they were. Just, sure. you know, study the history from an unbiased perspective and bring it out the best of your ability. Right. Absolutely. So you have a, a course to help people sort of navigate this whole thing if they want to. Um, is it pretty much for any Native tribe? Like, is it? How, well, tell us about your course <laughs> and, and why you made it and sure. and what people can can learn from it. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, my course is called Fiction Writing, American Indians, and I've wanted to create it for years because mm. I always have authors contact me asking specific questions or asking, as a non-Native, can I write about Native people? What do you think mm. about this? And I've had writers almost in tears and just so scared of, one, the climate that we're in. Two, they genuinely want to accurately portray American Indian people and they're of afraid course. they'll get it wrong. And they're like, I, I'm just scared of being disrespectful. You know, they genuinely, right. they have that heart. They don't want to be disrespectful. And I, I found most writers are that way. You always have the outliers that are, you know, I'm going to write whatever I want. I don't care what anybody thinks. Um, sure. But, you know, the, the course isn't for them. Um, <laughs> <Yes>. but, <laughs> but this is, this is for the people that yeah. are working hard, the writers that are, they're willing to put in the work to accurately portray native people. And okay. so, so yeah, I created it. I wanted to do it for years. I've taught at it live at, at workshops and at conferences and finally got it put together in an online course that people can all, I have students now in the UK, so it's really an international appeal and it's for native and non-native authors. Okay. Of course, of course, because sometimes we, depending on where you grow up, you might not know. I mean, I'm sure I'm part English and I still, whenever I write my historical fiction, I got to go and look it up because we can't know everything, right? Yeah, so I think this is pretty amazing. There was a, a sort of a a blank space, I guess, in this area because I, I haven't seen anything that's specifically about writing American Indians in fiction and how you go about that and how you go about researching because Google can be a big black hole, you know, <laughs> like... I don't know what it, it usually comes up with a lot of Harvard written papers. I feel like every time you go down that hole. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, so what is it that um, people can find in here? Cause I, I looked over your blog and you answer tons of questions on that mm -hmm. blog, which I think is really awesome. If people want to check out Sarah's blog, we're going to have it in the show notes below so people can get started there. But um, how many, you know, how long is the course, I guess, and what's, what's a little bit of it, mm -hmm. of the, the topics that you cover in there? Yeah, so it's broken down into three parts. I wanted to, okay. because it is such a heavy topic, and people, you know, I want them to be able to take their time and absorb it and, and really process it. So I broke it into three parts of okay. getting to know the people that you're writing about, learning how to research the people you're writing about, and then we go into kind of the post 
um, you know, how to become a trusted author and the publishing options. So it's about a total of four hours video content. I'm adding transcripts of the video as well so that people can follow along that way if they want to. Uh, But I broke it into modules. So each part part Mm. is broken into modules. And then each of those modules is broken into lessons. So we have a stereotypes module that actually has 12 lessons in it. So, so yeah, when people go to AmericanIndians.FictionCourses.com, they can see a breakdown of those parts in the modules so they know exactly what topics are being covered. And it is a comprehensive course. Um, I will add some workbooks and things like that, um, have that available for people. But at this point, yeah, I'm not planning to create another course like this is this is everything that I can offer, you know, in a comprehensive hor- course mm-hmm. that will get writers on the road to writing about Native Americans. That's wonderful. And you have a ton of uh, feedback, which is really great. And I mean, I think this is instead of Americans avoiding the putting people, different characters, different peoples into our our historical fiction or even contemporary fiction, what we need to do is learn, you know, yeah. and you're offering this way for people to learn a different culture, a different ethnic group, a different, and like you said, the stereotypes, sometimes we don't right. even know yeah. what is a stereotype, right? <laughs> because it's just been absorbed by us. Or if you grew up in, I don't know, Pennsylvania, or I don't, I'm trying to think of a place. That <laughs> Pretty much anywhere in the world, even Oklahoma, where, you know, there's like yeah. many, many tribes. Yeah. Stereotypes yeah. are still prominent. Right. I've, I've heard a lot of people complain that they get mistaken for Hispanic people. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, so my brother, um, we're full siblings, same mom, same dad. We don't look anything alike. Um, but if you check out my books, Touch My Tears and A Numpa Warrior, which is the co-talker book, he's on the cover of both of those. He has a lot darker skin. Um, I, I picked funny. him because he was cheap, Choctaw and handsome, you know, so he's my, <laughs> he's my, my model, but uh, he'll go, he's been to Nicaragua and Mexico, different places. And he always, people just immediately start speaking to him in Spanish. Even he landed in Florida coming back and the the agent was like welcoming and greeting him in, in Spanish. And he was like, I'm in America, right? <laughs> and the guy was like, oh, I'm sorry, sir. Yes, yes. Welcome. Come on. He should <laughs> just talk to them in Choctaw and they'll be like, I don't understand. <laughs> he does that too sometimes. That's funny. We're not, we're not I, fluent speakers, but we know, we know a few phrases. So yeah, that's wonderful. I mean, it is funny. Um, how we just sort of make a lot of assumptions. So that's mm-hmm. cool. There's there's 12 different modules you said on that. Yeah, 12 which different I think lessons. Is great. Yeah. On that end and, and also when we're talking about genres, it, it's it, you know, I talk a lot about historical fiction because that's my primary genre, but this topic touches all genres, contemporary, okay. romance, thriller, fantasy. I have a lot of fantasy authors that send me questions because they have these fictional people, people groups that they want to create in their stories, but they still want to, and they're basing them on Native people, Native Americans, but they they still don't want to be stereotypical. They still want to do that research. And so I have, I answer a lot of questions from fantasy authors. (laughs) That's wonderful. I'm glad that that this generation or a couple generations that we're sort of learning to ask the questions, like it's (laughs) much better to learn about it than to assume that the westerns you watched on pbs when you were a kid <laughs> rightly portrayed all different people right exactly like, we exactly. don't want to go there i do want to um so we will have 
more information about the fiction writing course, American Indians course, in the show notes below. Um, if you guys are part of my newsletter, Sarah and I are going to um, get together and collaborate soon. We will also have Sarah's um, links in the show notes below as well. But I don't want to let you go too quickly because I want to talk about your, let me see if I can say this right, Anumpa Warrior. Did mm -hmm. I say that right? Yeah, very okay. close. Okay. So I, we've all heard about the Navajo Code Talkers, but I hadn't heard about the Choctaw Code Talkers. So can you tell us like how you knew about this story and what it was like to write this story? Oh, absolutely. I have always known about the Choctaw Code Talkers okay. of World War One. I. I don't think there was a time that I didn't because of growing up, going to our Labor Day Festival and different events. They were always honored uh, starting in the 1980s, which I was born 1985. So Okay. <clears throat> So that was always a part of my upbringing, and it really surprised me whenever I would talk to other people that they didn't know about right. the, the Choctaw Code Talker. So it was reversed for me, and I would go speak at libraries and museums. I knew I wanted to write the story, so I would ask that question, who's heard of the Navajo Code Talkers of World War II? And everyone would raise their hand, and then I would say, who's heard of the Choctaw Code? There was a Code? movie. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I saw the movie. <laughs> Which for me, it was like a long time later before I actually saw the movie. <laughs> I think I had already put my book out before I saw the movie. Um, That's funny. But so, yeah, everyone's, uh, yeah, I saw the movie. I know about the Navajos. And then I would ask, great, you know, who's heard about the Choctaw Code Talkers of World War One? And I would just get these blank, big eyed <gasps> stares. Like, yeah. who? and I was like, okay, so we need to tell our story. You know, we're Choctaws. Yeah. We need to tell our story. And um, rather than doing like a history book, which is great. And we have a history book now um, that was done by Dr. Meadows of Missouri State University. Really grateful for that. But I wanted to hit the mainstream. It's like, mm -hmm. that's how most people learn. How do people know right. about the Navajo right. Code Talkers of World War II? Because of the movie. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to do a novel to hit that entertainment value and be able to share it through entertainment. And right. also entertainment, that just makes it more accessible for a lot of people and, and they learn and we remember stories, right? You know, we remember right. when we read a story or someone tells us a story versus reading just the facts of something. So Absolutely. I wanted to do it as a story. And in 2016, it kind of, because World War One for the most part is forgotten anyway. So not yeah. just the co-talkers, but World War One itself. And yeah. so I kind of woke up one day and I was like, wait, aren't we in like the hundred year anniversary years of World War One? And so I checked it and sure enough, the armistice was signed in uh, November 11th, 1918. And right. I was like, that's just two years away. And the Choctaw Code Talkers really need to be a part of that commemoration mm -hmm. and that recognition. So I got busy researching and uh, it did take me that whole two years and we barely got it out for the anniversary. Uh, we released October at the end of October, which is when the Choctaws actually did their co-talking. Um, but oh, that wow. spring, I got to go to France, my first international trip, walked the battlefields and went to you know where they actually did their co-talking, spent a couple of days in Paris, went to the Army Museum there. And one of the co-talkers who, uh, Otis W. Leader, he was selected, he was in the first division, he was selected to represent the American Doughboy whenever he first landed in France. The artist was like, who better to represent than an American Indian, you know, the American okay. Doughboy. So, so he was, uh, his portrait was painted. 
He went on uh, to fight in almost all the major battles, was wounded and gassed wow. twice. So he truly became the ideal American doughboy. And I'm, I'm currently writing his biography uh, with Chickasaw Press. And so I'm, I'm excited for that project. But yeah. while I was in France, I went to the Army Museum and got to view that portrait that was done of him. So it was just. Oh, a, that's amazing. Oh, it was a tremendous trip. And just talking to all of the descendants and some of them knew the co-talkers. Um, they were, you know, children. Uh, but they they had a few stories and memories of them. So because uh, I think the last one passed in ni- the 1970s. So, um, okay. of course, that was prior, way prior to my to my lifetime. But there are right. still people alive today that knew them. And uh, so, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. A, that's why I call myself a story archaeologist. I'm always digging up <laughs> these things and putting yes. them into a story. I mean, I think this is incredibly inspiring to to dig up those stories of your people, whoever your people are, any listener listening, like that's an amazing story. So how did, even though you know about code talkers, how did you narrow down how to tell the story? Is it, is it about, did you just sort of make one up and base him off of many or how did, how did you, because that would be my (laughs) biggest thing. I'd spend two years like, I don't know. And then. (laughs) Oh, Kat, you, you hit it right in my heart. That is exactly, that was exactly my biggest problem in starting the project and why I put it off for so many years. Because I wrote a flash fiction about it probably in 2011, 2012. And I I selected one of the co-talkers to kind of tell the story from. And it was just this really brief 750 word story. But that hung me up for years. It's like, who, who do I tell this from? There was 19 or 20 that were credited as Choctaw co-talkers. How do you pick one? Number one, mm-hmm. two is writers. We know we get deep into the skin of the main character and we've got their internal conflicts and all of those things going on. And I just didn't feel comfortable with doing that with any of these guys who who went through combat. And, you know, I didn't want to put any feelings and emotions into them that, right. I, you know, I don't know. And like I said, their descendants are still alive and they yeah. need them. And so it was it was really complicated. I was like, how do I tell this story? You know, how do you even approach something like this? And I had never done anything like this. Yeah. Um, and I finally came to the decision to create a fictional character okay. and write it in first person and just basically make him a composite ascent in a sense of the code talkers okay. and their experiences, but while also having all of the actual code talkers. So they're all his buddies. He's just a part of the gang of, oh, okay. of Choctaws who... Uh, a lot of them went to Armstrong Academy in Oklahoma, a boarding school, and they enlisted straight out of there when when America entered the war in 1917. So I just make him a part of that group, and he's he's one of the Choctaws and becomes one of the Choctaw co-talkers. Okay. So once I landed on that, I was like, yeah. okay, I can write the story, and then the yeah. real the real work began. And then right. I, I honestly I think it was my subconscious too, though, because um, Joseph Rashak, who again fabulous oral storyteller. Um, he had written a book about the Navajo co-talkers of World War II. And okay. that's what he did is he did a fictional main character, wrote it in for- first person and had him be a part of the World War II uh, co-talkers. And so I didn't specifically like read that book and go, oh, that's how I'm going to do mine. But I think it was in my subconscious. And then whenever I decided right. to do it and I got into the research, I was like, oh, I need to go back and look at that book again. And then I saw it and I was like, this is where that came from. <laughs> so so <laughs> well, I, was I think really it's a brilliant idea. I mean, a lot of stories that are based off, 
just like you said, you have a lot of different conflicts when you base it off of a true person. And so really following one person or making it like their descendants would recognize them, but then you have to have internal conflict and you have to have external mm -hmm. conflict. And if you make that part up, that could cause a lot of issues. Yeah. You know? Or maybe people will believe it. And I'm sure you've been asked this, but half the time I get people being like, like, are the characters in your book based on people you know? <laughs> You're just like, no, everything's right. Fiction. You know, so trying to make sure everyone knows it's fiction, it's just easier if you create one character. Yeah. Um, and then have them. Did you have to ask permission to use everyone's name or how does that work historically as well? <laughs> no. Were they honored to be part of it? Oh, or? yeah. Yeah, they were okay. honored to be a part of it. Um, and I didn't use any of the people that are alive today as far as part of the story. The actual co-talkers, they're historical figures, so you're mm -hmm. free to write about okay. anyone in history. Um, some family, if you're slandering, they may come after sure. you with that, but I, I kind of Maybe do don't a do search that. on that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to be slandering, talking bad, go go talk to your lawyer first. Like, don't take yes, this legal yes. advice. <laughs> we are but, not lawyers. Uh, yeah, I'm not, not a lawyer. That's my disclaimer. Uh, my other disclaimer with that, cat, what you were saying is we need t-shirts saying, I, you know, caution... I'm a novelist. You stand bystanders may be written into the story, you know? yes, and killed off later. <laughs> that does, yeah, that does happen. Um, but yeah, as far as a historical figure, you know, people are still writing biographies on George Washington and yeah, you know, all yeah. of those things. So you know, at this point, they're historical figures. If it's a, a living person, I don't, I don't know how they get by with that. You know, with writing about like the royal mm -hmm. family and things like that. So again, talk to your lawyer if you're going to go down. Yeah, that path. definitely. <laughs> We're like, let's let's not go down that path yeah. <laughs> on the podcast. Um, so what else do you have? You have a couple series I'm trying to get over here. Um on your on your shop. Here we mm -hmm. go. Different books. So you have one World War One book, but then you have a different series with the yeah. chalk. Choctaw Tribune series, mm -hmm. is that it? Yeah. And what year is that set in? That's set in the 1890s, Old Choctaw okay. Nation. So prior to Oklahoma statehood, right before all of the upheaval with the Dawes Commission that divided our tribal lands, because we had communal lands. And with the Dawes Commission, it was divided up into individual land allotments, which mm. the tribes were really split on that, on whether or not okay. they wanted to do that. So there was just a lot of controversy, a lot of political upheaval, shootouts it was kind of that true oh. grit time period too so you had a lot of outlaws that would come into indian territory because the indian police or the like the choctaw light horsemen couldn't arrest someone who was non-choctaw they would have to call in the marshals and the marshals oh, you know some jurisdictions they couldn't arrest someone that was indian so there was just this and it's like where do they get tried at and and all of these things so oh, man. so outlaws, and everyone else is in the middle like trying to stay alive <laughs> Jeez. literally literally oh. um so it was it was a bit of a, the old west during that time period so my main characters are Matthew and Ruth Ann Teller. They're fictional. Um, so all of the events, I base it on that history. But it's really character-driven with those two. They're okay. brother and sister. <clears throat> Excuse me. They're brother and sister, and they're out to report the truth in the newspaper, okay. no matter what the threats. And they are always threatened, um, and there's just uh, like life and death kind of threats. Right. And um, they're... Well, a little spoiler, you know, their newspaper shop gets burned down and, you know, just all these things that are happening. Um, but they're they have that determination and drive right. and, and, and family relationships and values just comes out really strong in that series. And is that based on a real newspaper? Was there a newspaper? 
It's not based on a on an actual newspaper, but there were uh, Choctaw run newspapers during okay. the 1800s, and there were also newspapers like the Indian Citizen and okay. a, a few others that were Indian run newspapers. And a lot of those newspapers were printed in both languages, which is okay. the, in the Choctaw Tribune. It's printed in English and in Choctaw. And so that series, um, Anumpa Warrior, that we were talking about, the Choctaw Code Talkers of World War One, is a standalone. But okay. and, and by the way, Anumpa meaning language or words in Choctaw, so language oh, warrior. I, uh, I was like to to clarify that. But in that book, it's kind of a second generation because it's actually Ruth Ann's son who is my oh, fictional character. So I meant to add that in there as far as like how I developed this. I was going to do a fictional character, then I was like. I've got his whole backstory, his whole family and yeah. everything with this. And in the in the Anumpa Warrior, the other fictional main character is Matthew. So this is a few decades later, but he's still a reporter. So he's now a war reporter and he goes through the entire war as a war reporter. So I'm doing a, a different perspective. I switch between those two points of view. Um, so that, that's idea. his uncle. And uh, in, yeah. in Choctaw tradition, we're a matrilineal society. And so the uh, mother's brother would actually take on the main role of helping raise her, his sister's children. And so okay. that's, that's a really strong connection. And Nupa Warrior is Matthew being the main character's uncle and, and going through the war. So oh, what a good idea. So, yeah. I'm it not all sure came I would together. That. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If we spend a lot of time thinking about our projects, I don't think people know how much time we spend <sighs> thinking all the time just it never ends and it's for no. me it's good to have a couple of projects going because like i got a little stuck with book five of the choctaw tribune series so there's there's four books out currently i'll get six books total but book five i've just been stuck on some plot things and some character things and and the historical aspects so i also teach historical mm. fiction and i have to i'm having to hold my feet to the fire of some things that i yeah. thought of you know don't fudge and, and really uh you know, really stick with uh, with the history as much as you can. And, and there's, you know, uh, exceptions to that. But I'm really having to to grind my way through some some issues with the plot and the character and the history and making it all mesh together. So yeah, I've been a little stuck on book five. So back to Doc Beck, I go and <laughs> back and forth. Well, and it's funny how you can have several books and then you'll get to one where it's just like, I I don't know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> just like spend so much time. I think a lot of people think that it gets easier and easier and easier, but it's really like book mm -hmm. by book basis. I thought it was so going to. It's like, I don't know who promised me that, but. <laughs> I, I think it's in our head. That little voice in our head said, yeah. if you just keep going, someday yeah. it'll get easier. <laughs> but talk to us a little bit about the Doc Beck Westerns, because there are eight books in that. So what is the yeah. difference there and where, where is it set? Yeah, the difference with that is I wouldn't call it like a, a more of a cultural book. Um, so with the Choctaw Tribune series, Anumpa Warrior, Touch My Tears, and then Toshba Story, which is a continuation of the short story I did in Touch My Tears. Mm -hmm. And that's based on a true story. So those are more my heritage and my cultural books that I'm really trying to preserve the history one and then to share it. Because here in America, we it's our shared history, Native history, yeah. you know, Choctaw history, and American history. It's shared. Uh, Choctaws right. have fought alongside Americans in every war since the Revolutionary War, and so you know, sharing that that history. That's what I want to capture with that. Yeah. With the Doc Beck, I needed a little bit of a break <laughs> because that is you know a lot of a lot of heavy research and emotionally yeah. draining at times. So, and not saying that 
Doc Beck's easy, <laughs> the Doc Beck Westerns, <laughs> but I did want to return to Westerns and okay. uh, in, in writing, I grew up on Westerns. So we were, we were knocking TV Westerns and old Westerns a little bit earlier because that is where a lot of our stereotypes about Native mm. Americans comes from is, mm-hmm. is the old Westerns. So I'm going back and watching some of those with a different perspective now. Uh, but my dad was born in 1946. He he grew up when Gunsmoke was still on the radio. It was still a radio show. And wow, he I didn't had, even know it was. <laughs> I, it was the longest running TV series uh, of any. At, I definitely remember the I TV some, series. Yeah, oh some years back. Yeah, it's like, and that actually wasn't like his favorite. <laughs> we were we were Bonanza. That was our favorite. Oh, um, I remember Bonanza. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Everybody's like got that in their head now. Um, so, and, and really, I mean, I loved all those characters, really Matthew Teller. He's, he's kind of a mashup of, of the Cartwrights. And, uh, so, so yeah, that's a whole other rabbit trail. I, but I did want to return to Westerns. I've always wanted to write Westerns and, but I was at this crossroads of, I've, you know, done all of this research on Native America and it's just a different perspective that I wanted to bring to it. So, um, so I kept a lot of the traditional Western tropes that we have, the shootouts and the, you know, gunfights, the fist fights, you know, all the stuff yeah. that people expect in a Western and just, you know, just action packed adventure. Uh, but I wanted to have a first American main character and I did, okay. that's another term. Um, that's actually my preferred term when we're talking okay. about Amer- uh, Native Americans as a group is first American. So just a little aside yeah. back to our terminology thing. Um, but I wanted to have a first American main character. And, um, because when I was doing, thinking about doing a Western, I was like, literally, what do I do with the Indians? You know, it's like, I can't, you know, just go with the the tropes that we have a lot of times and that we still see today in Westerns, um, when, when dealing with that. So I I wanted a a main character and I had heard about Dr. Susan LaFleche Picot several years ago, her being the first, uh, American Indian woman doctor, and so that stuck in the back of my mind. I was like, I want to write a story about her sometime. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, hmm, what if I have this uh, intrepid Western uh, doctor who, you know, travels the West on these medical missions and she's an Omaha Indian woman doctor. And that became Doc Beck or Dr. Susan. Uh, I'm getting all confused. Dr. Rebecca LaRoche, who is my fictional character, who okay. again, I always emphasize it's not a representation of Dr. Susan uh, LaFleche Picot's story. Uh, she had her own incredible life story. People can read about that. But I did take some of her background as far as her going mm-hmm. to medical school and about the Omaha Indian Reservation, all of those things. And I put that into my character. And yeah. so Doc Beck, and she's called Dr. Uh, Rebecca LaRoche, um, goes by Doc Beck. Um, that's what she's known as in the West. And she's actually been banned from her reservation for reasons that we reveal as the book series goes on. Okay. But she has a sponsor who sends her out on basically on medical missions. And so she, you know, the first one is set in Paladura Canyon. We go to New Mexico. She gets kidnapped and goes to Mexico. So all of the old Western things, she's got a sidekick that has totally stolen the show um, named Jimmy. He's, he's a, he's a young kid about 16 years old. And, uh, but he's really um, almost serving as a mentor role for her, even though she's almost old enough to be his mother as he gets <laughs> out at one point. <laughs> But uh, but he's a great character. He'll probably get his own spinoff series uh, because he's, okay. he's just become so loved. Um, so then it goes to Wyoming, and the four books that I'm working on now is uh, will be set in in Nebraska on the primarily okay. on the Omaha reservation. 
Oh, that what a good idea. I, I love that. And I love how you you take a woman or, or a story from history and sort of spin it off. And that's really all we can do, right? Because, mm-hmm. again, going back to Google, you could Google, oh, how man. would a person, a woman go to medical school? And like, you're not going to get anywhere. So you're, you have to use someone's real story. How, how was she educated? How did she get there? Has your research? Like, yeah. that's, that's what we have unless, I don't know, I go to the archives here in DC and see if somebody will give you something. But I mean, really spinning it off of somebody's real life, I think is actually a tribute too of like how much that story is impactful. Like there were female doctors and that's amazing. She must've been super brave, honestly. (laughs) She, she was, she was a very gentle woman, the real Dr. Bacot. She was a very gentle woman, but she was strong. Like she, she would not, she didn't take any guff off of anyone, <laughs> and, yeah. um, but she was, she was very gentle, very kind, just heart as big as the state. I mean, she was just incredible. And I, I love what you said. It's really a way of honoring her and the inspiring story that she had. Yeah. But yeah, if we're just starting from scratch, it is, it's hard to put together when it's, when it's right. history, because that Google is a black hole. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then if, if it's not based off of something, then you, people could claim it's really going into fantasy. There were no female doctors back then. What are you talking about? Like, no, there was. Yes. Right. Read my author notes. <laughs> yes. I love that. I love that idea. So you have eight books of that out already and you're working yeah. on four more. Mm-hmm. And that's a novella series. So they are short books, you know, they're a couple hour read for most people. Um, and that was the other reason why I went with that medium because novels can take me years to, to get put together, put that together with right. the plot this and the research, history yeah. and the culture. So I was like, I need something that I can write faster and put out to give my readers uh, more options to read instead of having to go, you know, three years between a novel or something. Yeah. Um. So it's, uh, it's. I won't say it's easy to read, but it's. I mean, easy, easy to write, but it is easier to write mm. um, than the novels. Um. So they they do bring in about a fourth of the size, and uh, so they're they're almost like TV episodes. So that's kind of why I compare Perfect. them to is old old TV TV western uh, series, and uh, people can just enjoy enjoy a short read, shorter read. That's wonderful. I like that. Uh, maybe I'll start doing novellas <laughs> because I'm so stuck on mine. There's anyway. actually a market for novellas, which really surprised me as well. So um, so I really enjoy doing those. Well, you know, there are certain topics or stories that don't need 400 pages. And I think sometimes we get bogged down with the like fluff because <laughs> we're trying to make it a full novel, you know? Yeah. We get these weird rules that we think we have to follow the 80,000 words. Like, well, if it doesn't need that many words, Mm -hmm. why write that many words? So I like that indie publishing as you and I are part of is sort of breaking open those walls. And Mm -hmm. and Hey, you know, moms, we don't have time. (laughs) (laughs) I do. Seriously. I have a mom that I've known for years and she's homeschooling her kids. And this is literally, this is the first series that she's read since high school and she's like I love it because it's short I can just catch some reading here and there and not get right. lost in the story so yet she's being able to actually read <laughs> because it is yes. shorter but yeah as, as authors you know we write the story the the length that the story calls for uh, a number yes, warrior we should yeah I thought it was going to be a novella I was going to make it more the length of Toshba's story which is a novella as well I was going to go for that length and as I got into it I was like this is a novel you know, it just that's is. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, Sometimes it changes like that too, yeah. doesn't it? So, well, that's 
Amazing. You have all of these books um, and more about yourself on your website, um, Sarah Elizabeth writes.com. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's hard to read the URL. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was going to go read yeah. Sarah Elizabeth Sawyer and that's not what it is. Yeah. So Sarah Elizabeth writes.com, but we will have the link in the show notes below. Yeah. Um, and I would encourage everyone to sign up for her newsletter, go see her course, um, sign up for my newsletter. Cause we are going to do something soon yes. together because that's what indie authors do. We collaborate. So <laughs> I'm excited about that, Kat. Thank you. And I also want to plug uh, ChoctawSpirit.com mm-hmm. as far as people okay. buying direct. They can get some of the books on my website. I'm still working on that. But my mother is a Choctaw artist as well. And we oh, cool. uh, launched her fine art prints and jewelry on ChoctawSpirit.com. And she's like, your books are going on there. So uh, they Wonderful. can get, readers can get the ebook directly. I'm working on some audio books as well for my for them. So uh, ChoctawSpirit.com, we have that available for people to buy direct. And for the authors that are writing about Native Americans, I also have a free ebook for you guys. It's uh, five stereotypes to avoid when writing about okay. Native Americans. And uh, you can get that on AmericanIndianStopFictionCourses.com. Okay, we will have those um, links in the show notes as well, because I'm sure we have just scratch the surface <laughs> of what, you, you know, different issues or questions that might come up if people now feel like, great, I can have this character and I'm sure they'll write mm. and then be like, wait a minute, <laughs> I, need, <laughs> I need more help it, because that's how our life goes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's complicated, but I, I'm glad to offer, I'm, I'm grateful to offer this resource because uh, like you yes. said, it's, it's really not out there. There's really not much help for authors in this, in yes. this niche. Yeah, and like you said, it's, it's, our whole history, everyone together, the past history, yeah. the yesterday history, the tomorrow history. So yeah, it's our shared it's, history. <laughs> yes. All right. So are you going to say goodbye in Choctaw? <laughs> I am. We do not have a word for goodbye in Choctaw. Okay. language, which is don't, but we say, I will see you again soon. And I'll also add Yako Key. Thank you, Kat, for having me on your podcast. Oh, that's wonderful. You're so welcome. We'll have you again soon. Thank you. Hey, you're still listening. Since you are, could you do me a favor and head over to the app that you're listening to this episode on and hit the subscribe button and then rate and review the show? It would really help the Pencils and Lipstick podcast get out into the world. And if you're enjoying the podcast, well, then there might be more people out there who would enjoy it as well. If you want to find out more about me, you can head over to catcaldwell.com. I have my story over there, my books, my interactive journals, my one-on-one coaching information, and information on my creative writing community membership group. If you're looking to write a book or you are a writer and you just want to find out more about how to write, how to publish, how to format, how to market, and all the things that go into being an author these days, check out the membership group. There is a 14 free day trial that you can try it out, get into the masterminds, find out all the goodies that we are talking about in the group. I would love to see you there.